0: This paper traces the emphasis given or um, not given to ethnicity in research on poverty and social exclusion in the United Kingdom in the period since the early uh, 1970s. Um, It is generally, um, generally accepted now that there are a series of labels stretching from the social residuum of the 1880s through the social problem group of the 1920s, the problem family of the 1950s, the cycle of deprivation of the 1970s, the underclass of the 1980s, to the contemporary emphasis on social exclusion. Together form a series of what I often call a a set of conceptual stepping stones through which the concept of the underclass has been successively invented and reinvented in modern Britain. This paper interrogates this evidence for information on ethnicity. Ethnicity. It surveys the research programme on transmitted deprivation that followed Sir Keith Joseph's famous Cycle of Deprivation speech of June 1972. While the speech and research programme have attracted attention in recent years, not least because of the striking continuities between Joseph's ideas and the policy emphases of new labour, the part played by ethnicity has so far not been given the same attention. The paper looks at debates about an underclass in the 1980s in the United States and Britain. It then juxtaposes the 1970s debate with research on social exclusion in Britain since the mid-1990s. The argument is that for a variety of reasons and despite the evidence of the very real disadvantage experienced by ethnic minority groups, ethnicity has generally been underplayed in this discourse. In this way, ethnicity, both its presence and omission, offers insights into debates about poverty, deprivation and social exclusion in the United Kingdom over the past 40 years. The starting point uh, for the paper is the debate about a cycle of deprivation or transmitted deprivation in the United Kingdom in the 1970s. The key speech by Sir Keith Joseph, then Conservative Secretary of State for Health and Social Services, was given on the 29th of June 1972. It was in the second half of the speech that Joseph developed his main theme, asking why it was, quote, that in spite of long periods of full employment and relative prosperity and the improvement in community services since the Second World War, Deprivation and problems of maladjustment so conspicuously persisted. By deprivation, Joseph meant, quote, those circumstances which prevent people developing to near their potential, physically, emotionally, and intellectually, than many do now. He acknowledged that deprivation took many forms and had complex causes, including those that were economic, personal, and to do with patterns of child rearing. But he continued, quote, perhaps there is at work here a process apparent in many situations but imperfectly understood by which problems reproduce themselves from generation to generation. There was not a single process, but it seemed that in a proportion of cases, the problems of one generation seemed to be repeated in the next. Part of Joseph's speech was a call for more research and a recognition that the cycle was poorly understood. Perhaps not surprisingly, Joseph didn't uh, mention ethnicity. Interestingly, Joseph did acknowledge that poverty did play a role in the causation of deprivation. However, in the meantime, his remedies were noticeably more limited. Apart from playgroups and services for the under fives, they focused on family planning, support for parents, and attention to the needs of children. The speech was reported in the main newspapers, but met a fairly muted response. Nevertheless, it did lead to a research programme on transmitted deprivation, funded by the Dep- Department of Health and Social Security and organised by the Social Science Research Council. And this ran for eight years, uh, from 1974 to 1982, and it cost uh, about uh, three quarters of a million pounds at 1970s values. So it was quite a substantial research programme. Michael Rutter and Nicol Madge's literature review, published in 1976, examined what evidence existed that might support the cycle of transmitted deprivation and considered what it was that created these alleged continuities between generations. And Rutter and Madge included a lengthy chapter on ethnic minorities in Britain. They argued that, quote, immigrant populations present an opportunity to determine how various social, and, so, psychological and economic forces lead individuals into, or protect them from, disadvantage and deprivation. Some processes were related to the fact of immigration, some to skin colour and associated prejudice and discrimination, and some to circumstances shared with other groups in the population. Their survey covered physical health, parenting and child care behaviour, psychiatric disorders, crime and delinquency, Ability, attainment, and education, employment, housing and discrimination in housing, and race relations. They were generally cautious about research carried out in the United States, pointing to the differences between America and Britain. The term ghetto, for instance, was not applicable in their view to the British situation. Of genetic factors, they wrote that it was, not to, it was not possible to exclude the possibility that there might be a genetic component to the difference in average IQ between blacks and whites. But equally, there was no convincing evidence in favour of the proposition. What was known was that some of the difference was accountable for in terms of environmental influences. More generally, Rutter and Madge decided that they preferred the term disadvantage to the original deprivation. They substituted the plural cycles for the singular cycle and they dropped the phrase uh, transmitted. And these changes would have a, an important bearing on the research program as a whole. The Joint Working Party in Transmitted Deprivation noted in August 1974 that research was needed on what they called colour. Skin colour, in their view, was a strong indicator of deprivation of various kinds, but research was needed into the circumstances in which it existed, the reasons for this connection, and the extent to which these connections were involved in the transmission of problems across generations. Nevertheless, the Joint Working Party did not commission much, if any, research on ethnicity, and in November 1977 it said it would simply commission a literature review on, uh, the influence of ethnic origin. And this review was carried out by two researchers called Alan Little and Diana Robbins, uh, then based at Goldsmiths uh, College in London. Little and Robbins noted that there was evidence of inequalities over time, but also of a widening gap between the life chances of adult and uh, adolescent uh, black people, and between the black and white uh, sections of society. The negative evaluation by the white majority of genetically transmitted skin colour, as well as... Uh, of socially transmitted customs, skills, religious beliefs, arts and language was paralleled and compounded by sex and culture-based sectarian discrimination. It was this negative evaluation that provided an extra handicap for minorities already caught up in low-paid or low-status employment, bad housing, the poorest education and the environmental deprivation of the inner city. In particular, Little and Robbins compared the situation of ethnic minorities to that of women and Catholics in Northern Ireland. And perhaps because I'm from Northern Ireland myself, when I went back to to read uh, their chapter, I was quite struck by this parallel that they they made with uh, the situation in Northern Ireland in the 1970s. And much of this was in the context of the 1975 Sex Discrimination Act, the 1976 Race Relations Act, and the need for affirmative action. Nevertheless, um, reviewing the transmitted deprivation programme in ten years on in 1982, Muriel Brown and Nicola Madge only referred occasionally to ethnicity in relation to crime, discrimination, education, employment, health, (coughs) housing and income. So this is the final report on the research programme and there's actually very little uh, in it about uh, about, uh, ethnicity. So what I want to um, do now is to sort of switch across the Atlantic and look a bit at... Uh, debates in the United States. One reason for this tentative approach uh, was because of the relative size, or may have been because of the relative size of the ethnic minority community. Uh, The population of Great Britain of new Commonwealth and Pakistani origin was estimated in 1976 at 1.6 million people, of a total population of 54.4 million, uh, just over 3% of the total. But another was because of related debates in the United States. Um, This is a photograph of uh, Oscar Lewis. Fieldwork in Puerto Rico gave Oscar Lewis, Professor of Anthropology at the University of Illinois, the chance to test out his theory of the culture of poverty. And the classic account appeared in the introduction to a book called La Vida, 1966. Kind of a good example, I think, of how an academic can make their, make their name with sort of basically one uh, deceptively simple um, idea. Um, in this uh, work, Lewis compared 100 uh, low-income Puerto Rican families from four slums in greater San Juan with their relatives in New York. He wrote that as an anthropologist he had tried to understand poverty as, quote, a culture or more accurately as a subculture with its own structure and rationale, as a way of life which is passed down from generation to generation along family lines. Thus the culture of poverty was not just a matter of economic deprivation, but had a positive connotation. It had advantages for the poor, and indeed it was arguable that without it they would be unable to carry on. Thus the culture of poverty was, quote, both an adaptation and a reaction of the poor to their marginal position in a class-stratified, highly individuated, capitalistic society." Lewis argued that one characteristic of adults as opposed to children was the way that the poor did not participate in or were integrated by the major institutions of the larger society. People with the culture of poverty, it was alleged, did not belong to trade unions, were not members of political parties, um, were not participants in the welfare system and did not make use of banks. It was uh, what he called uh, this low level of organisation that gave the culture of poverty its marginal quality in a highly complex and organised society. Even so, Lewis uh, was quick to uh, point out that the culture of poverty was not just an adaptation. Once established, it tended to perpetuate itself through the generations because of its effect on children. By the age of six or seven, argued Lewis, children, quote, have usually absorbed the basic values and attitudes of their subculture, and are not psychologically geared to take full advantage of changing conditions or increased opportunities which may occur in their lifetime. Overall, Lewis argued that improved economic opportunities were not the whole answer. Uh, it was easier to eliminate poverty than the culture of poverty. Uh, and I don't really have time I not have time in the paper to, to kind of talk about the very extensive critique of the culture of poverty which was, was put forward uh, by Charles Valentine and other people. Earlier writing on black families had continued to exert an important influence on debates in American social policy in the 1960s. Uh, Franklin E. Frazier's The Negro Family in the United States in particular uh, had gone through numerous editions and became known to successive generations of social scientists. But its most direct link with policy came with the Moynihan Report on the Negro Family published in 1965. Its author, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, wrote that, quote, Negro social structure, in particular the Negro family, battered and uh, harassed by discrimination, injustice and uprooting, is in the deepest trouble. A quarter of urban black marriages were dissolved, one in four black births were illegitimate, and a quarter of black families were headed by females, uh, according to Moynihan. Overall, Moynihan claimed that the breakdown in the black family had led to a startling increase in welfare dependency. Noting that 14% of black children but uh, 2% of white children were in, receipt of AIDS for, uh, were in receipt of aid for families with dependent children, uh, or the welfare benefit called AFDC, Moynihan argued that the steady expansion of this welfare programme charted the steady disintegration of Negro family structure in the previous generation. At the centre of what Moynihan called the tangle of pathology was the weakness of family structure, And it's been suggested, and I think this is an an interesting argument, it's been suggested that the publication of the Moynihan Report led to a kind of intellectual void in which liberal scholars were deterred from discussing issues of individual behaviour, a void that was filled by neo right commentators in the 1980s, and uh, um, deterred from discussing issues of individual behaviour in in, in white uh, people as well. Certainly Michael Rutter and Nicola Madge remained sceptical about Oscar Lewis's culture of poverty, claiming it was unlikely it was relevant to Britain. Uh, Overall, Rutter and Madge concluded that the culture of poverty, concluded, quote, that the culture of poverty concept is inadequate for an analysis of British society. So what I want to turn to now is to look at um, the underclass debate in the UK in the 1980s. Interestingly, when the term underclass was used in discussion of British society in the early 1970s, it was usually in relation to the position of ethnic migrant workers. In in 1973, Anthony Giddens argued that where ethnicity served as a disqualifying factor in the labour market and where ethnic groups were concentrated in the poorest paid jobs or were unemployed or semi-employed, it was possible to talk about an underclass. Giddens accepted that the size and demographic composition of the United States made it something of a special case. Nevertheless, he maintained that in many European countries too, the lack of an indigenous ethnic minority led to a transient underclass being imported from outside. Composed of recent migrants in urban and industrial areas in Britain and France, the underclass formed a basis for a pool of highly disposable labor. Giddens predicted that hostile outbursts were likely because the underclass was unable to exercise the kind of citizenship rights enjoyed by everyone else. However, overall, despite its radical potential, he concluded that it was more likely that the effect would be conservative. It wouldn't lead to sort of, um, riots in the streets. Other commentators in this period, though, were more hesitant about using the term underclass to describe the position occupied by ethnic minority groups in Britain. In 1975, the sociologists John Westergaard and Henrietta Resler argued that although ethnic minorities undoubtedly faced serious obstacles in the labour market, as indeed in society in uh, general, they did not constitute an underclass. Descriptions of migrant labour as an underclass, they suggested, had more application to other continental countries, such as Germany and Switzerland, that had recruited large numbers of foreign workers into poorly paid jobs. When the term underclass was used, it was deployed in a rather different way and had a more positive connotation. In their Birmingham case study, John Rex and Sally Tomlinson acknowledged that there was some tendency for the black community in Britain to operate as a separate class or underclass, but resisted the idea that its members were an inert mass with a ghetto mentality or a culture of poverty. (coughs) Rather, they argued that ethnic minorities organised and acted in their own underclass interests. Rex and Tomlinson concluded of Birmingham that the car industry provided unstable but highly unionised conditions with good wages for workers. Other factories and foundries had few unions and provided work that was poorly paid but secure. They claimed that distinctions of this kind in the labour market were a, a, quote, necessary but not sufficient condition of the emergence of an underclass. Moreover, the underclass debates of the 1980s focused much more on long-term unemployment in the white working-class population. And if you even look at the the work of Charles Murray, probably the most prominent um, right-wing commentator, he actually says very little about uh, ethnicity in the British context. So I'm just going to go on and say a bit about the underclass debates in the United States. This, of course, was the complete opposite of the United States, where much of the underclass debate was predicated on the notion of racial difference. Uh, as is brought out, I think, in, the, in this uh, quite nice time uh, time cover from 1977. The most interesting commentator, I think, on the underclass in the United States is William Julius Wilson from the University of Chicago. Um, One of William Julius Wilson's points uh, was that following the debate about the Moynihan Report, 1965, liberals had left discussion of these issues to the conservatives. So the debate is really dominated by people like uh, Ken Aletta. Nonetheless, Wilson pointed out that poverty in the United States had become more urban, more concentrated and more firmly entrenched in large cities, especially the older industrial cities with large and highly segregated black and Hispanic residents. This increase in ghetto poverty was mainly confined to cities in the Northeast and Midwest. And much of his work was done on Chicago. Wilson's argument was that historical discrimination and, and uh, migration to large cities that kept the urban uh, minority population relatively young created a problem of uh, weak labour force attachment uh, among urban blacks. Especially since 1970, this had made them particularly vulnerable to industrial and geographical changes in the economy. These problems were particularly severe in the ghetto neighbourhoods of large cities because the poorest people lived there and because the areas had become less diversified. Since 1970, inner-city inner neighbourhoods had experienced the migration of middle and working-class families to the suburbs. Combined with the increase in the number of poor uh, caused by rising joblessness, this meant that poverty was more sharply concentrated in these areas. The number of inner-city neighbourhoods with poverty rates above 40% had increased dramatically. It's particularly interesting, I think, the way in which Wilson, uh, as a sort of liberal scholar, deals with the issue of, uh, of behaviour. Wilson conceded that by the 1980s there was a large sub population of low income families and individuals whose behaviour contrasted with that of the general population. In contrast, in the years before 1960, inner city communities had shown signs of social organisation. People had a sense of community. They identified with their neighbourhood and they adopted norms and sanctions against behaviour they regarded as wrong. Wilson argued that the central problem of the underclass was uh, unemployment that was reinforced by an increasing social isolation in impoverished neighbourhoods. What he called weak labour force attachment was caused by two factors. Macro structural changes in the wider society and economy and and the social milieu of individuals. Cultural values emerged from specific circumstances, life chances and class structure. Like other writers had done in the 1960s, he argued that culture and behaviour were essentially an adaptive response to the circumstances that individuals found themselves in. The transmission of these beliefs or practices was part of what Wilson called concentration effects. Uh, That is, the effects of living in an impoverished uh, neighbourhood. It followed then that the problems of the underclass could be most meaningfully addressed by a comprehensive programme that combined employment and social welfare policies and featured universal rather than race or group specific measures. Wilson has argued that to ignore the term underclass in favour of more neutral terms such as working class is in in his opinion to quote fail to address one of the most important social transformations in recent United States uh, history. So what I want to do in the final section is, is just to turn briefly to the issue of social exclusion. Since the early 1990s, and among academics and policy the term underclass has passed out of use, uh, at least in Britain, and has been replaced by the term social exclusion, which was favoured by new labour. In, uh, in December 1997, for example, In a speech given at Stockwell Park School in the deprived London Borough of Lambeth, Tony Blair outlined government plans to tackle the problem of social exclusion. And the speech marked marked the launch of the government's new social exclusion unit. Um, and And the then Prime Minister said, as you can see here, that, quote, social exclusion is about income but it is about more. It is about prospects and networks and life chances. It's a very modern problem, and one that is more harmful to the individual, more damaging to self-esteem, more corrosive for society as a whole, more likely to be passed down from generation to generation than material poverty. According to Blair, part of the answer lay in ensuring that those government departments concerned with the development of policy were coordinated more effectively. But Blair also argued that it was in people's own interests that social exclusion should be eliminated, typical typical Blair. The issue was, quote, as much about self-interest as compassion. Since it had been established in December 1997, uh, the Government Social Exclusion Unit had issued a range of reports on subjects that included truancy and school exclusion, uh, what they called rough sleepers, teenage pregnancy and neighbourhood renewal. The thrust of this interpretation was reflected in a plethora of government initiatives. The Sure Start program for parents and children, uh, education and health action zones, the New Deal for Communities, the Single Regeneration Budget and and, and, uh, and many more. Much of the intellectual input into the work of the Social Exclusion Unit was provided by the uh, uh, ESRC, Economic and Social Research Council's Research Centre for Analysis of Social Exclusion, or CASE, established at the London School of Economics, the LSE, in October 1997. And in this respect, the issue of social exclusion provides, I think, uh, quite a good example of the close ties that new labour developed with social scientists. Quite interesting, I think, to look at the the origins of the term social exclusion itself, uh, because social exclusion uh, is, of course, a term that has been imported into Britain. Um, As... Uh, Some of you may know, exclusion became a subject of discussion in France in the 1960s. In 1974, for example, uh, a person called René Lenoir, then Secretary of State for Social Action in the Chirac government, estimated that the excluded made up one-tenth of the French population. I found it quite interesting that the underclass is always one-tenth, even going back to the 1880s, it's always 10%. Um, but it was only in the late 1970s that exclusion was identified as the central problem of, of what they called the new poverty. Thus, the term exclusion referred to the rise in long term and recurrent empl- unemployment and also to important changes in social relations, family breakups, single member households, social isolation, and the decline of traditional class solidarity based on unions, workplaces, and networks. In the 1980s, the meanings of exclusion and insertion were expanded to cover emerging new groups and problems. And one example of this was the extent to which they were increasingly concerned with the integration of ethnic minority groups. Uh, An American academic called Hillary Silver describes how young second-generation North African migrants from the housing projects of the suburbs, the banlieue, uh, the outskirts of the city, uh, argued through their cultural associations that since they lived in France, they should have full citizenship rights. An official policy was adopted to integrate migrants that managed to keep the key key elements of republican solidarity discourse, but also tried to marry these with multicultural meanings and integration. Uh, Thus, in terms of public policy in France, the many meanings of exclusion were expanded in the 1980s. Nevertheless, research on social exclusion in the United Kingdom has said, has said little about ethnic minorities, in part because, I think, of the legacy of the underclass debate. Uh, one prominent book, uh, and this is in the, um, the book edited by John Hills and uh, others, uh, one prominent book noted of the United States that, quote, uh, the, the underclass is usually taken uh, to consist of several generations of people from ethnic minorities living in ghettos and in receipt of welfare, cut off from the mainstream of society and representing a threat to it. Being a member of an ethnic minority was perceived as a cause or risk factor for social exclusion, and ethnic background featured in discussions about educational attainment and education as a preventive factor. Uh, Moreover, evaluations of particular policy initiatives have found that they have served ethnic minorities poorly. Um, The evaluation of Uh, The policy and practice of Sure Start uh, in areas with numerically significant ethnic minority populations found that the local programs and the national evaluation had failed to address the question of ethnicity with sufficient rigour or sensitivity. Uh, They found that experiences and practices varied widely, and some local programs had abandoned the attempt to work closely with certain minority groups. Some services needed to be targeted to reach minority groups, and few uh, minority staff were employed in senior positions. And a report in the Guardian newspaper in July 2007 was headed, the headline was, Sure Start Failing Ethnic Minorities. Um, Nevertheless, the important point, and I don't have time really to develop this in the paper, I think, is that uh, initiatives against against social exclusion uh, have been in parallel with the emphasis on antisocial behaviour. Uh, where this, I think, has been constructed largely as a problem, uh, problem in inverted commas, of the white working class population. So, I just want to finish with some sort of concluding uh, thoughts on all of this. This paper has attempted to trace the emphasis given or not given to ethnicity and policy and research on poverty and social exclusion in the United Kingdom in the period since the early 1970s. In his famous speech, Sir Keith Joseph said nothing about the extent to which families from ethnic minority groups might be caught up in his alleged cycle of deprivation. Moreover, ethnicity was very much neglected by the researchers funded through the Transmitted Deprivation Research Programme, mainly, I think, because of the notoriety of the culture of poverty theory in the United States and the Moynihan Report of 1965. Um, The SSRC, the Social Science Research Council, was very unsuccessful in attracting applications from social scientists. In the 1980s, while underclass stereotypes in America were uh, uh, predicated on notions of race and on real evidence of the disadvantage experienced by ethnic minority groups, the parallel debate in Britain again said very little about ethnicity. Rather it focused on the long-term unemployment experienced by the white working class population. Writers on ethnicity and health uh, followed John Rex and dissociated themselves from the underclass thesis, arguing that despite the attempts of William Julius Wilson, uh, the term was part of a racist discourse and a vocabulary of uh, conic, uh, coded panic terms, and that comes from work by Rory Williams and the um, uh, Glasgow MRC Sociology uh, Unit, an article they wrote on, on health and ethnicity. Social exclusion in France was originally concerned with North African migrants, and in Britain too, ethnicity has attracted attention from researchers, for instance, in demonstrating how ethnic minority groups have failed to, have failed to benefit from policy initiatives such as Sure Start. However, in other respects, ethnicity has not been prominent in social exclusion, and different strands of policy, notably antisocial behaviour, have been constructed as problems of the white community. In this way, ethnicity, both its presence and omission, offers insights, I think, into discourses of poverty, deprivation and social exclusion in the United Kingdom over the past 40 years. Thank you.